go kill yourself. Today's episode, The Profit. The Selling of the Shares. The interdepartmental project management team lead stood upon a swivel chair and said, We will not let you leave. We forbid you to sell your shares and abandon us to our own devices. Yet I know I cannot sway you. So instead, I implore you before you go to bequeath unto us your wisdoms. The prophet smiled and said, O oh, colleagues and fellow shareholders, I enjoyed the profits we earned together, and I know that you will earn many more after I leave. But if it is wisdoms that you wish for, then who am I to deny you them? My time is short, and soon I must be gone. But ask me your riddles, and I will expose to you my secrets. On Self-Knowledge and the human resources lady said, What of knowledge of the self? Should we dig deep into our innermost thoughts to become familiar with our internal components and even seek hidden knowledge concerning the nature of the source of thought itself? And the prophet said, To peer overmuch into thy mind stuff is neither profitable nor dignified. The mind may divulge an empty place where a hallucinated self once sat before a theater of experience. And if there is no central self to benefit from this sensory spectacle, then who shall collect the profits? Better instead to proceed with the unavoidable language of I and you, and to concoct sayings which sound wise by conjuring dramatic imagery to inspire those who would buy your goods or enter into profitable business arrangements. You might say, I am a tiger waiting to pounce. Or, when I suffer most in a serpentine pit of sadness is also when I strive my most, reaching my highest heights to grasp the colorful fruit in the highest branches of the sparkling trees. And with those words, hands will clap upon their beating brows as they lustily suckle on the imagined power of your projected self-imagery. On Crime and Punishment The legal team served a writ which proclaimed, we are bound to serve the law, which brutally punishes certain actions. Why is it that we dominate each other with these restrictions? How do we reconcile crime, and how do we justify punishment? What is the nature of the vindictive beast of state-driven behavioral quarantine? And the prophet answered, When one's actions disrupts the workflow of productions and transactions, be it through bodily harm or unsanctioned movement of property, then one must be quarantined, so one's behavior can cause no further disruptions. However, if one succeeds in bodily harm or unsanctioned movement of property in such a way that the workflow of productions and transactions is enhanced, then the mechanisms of quarantine will not seek to apply their technique to this process, for that would only disrupt the workflow, and then the quarantiners would must be quarantined on laws and obedience. The legal team served a writ which proclaimed, How should we conduct ourselves while we represent the company and its shareholders? Must we bend our will completely to the state's laws, limiting the company's behavior to fall within certain predefined legal constraints? Must we comply with all the investigations, sharing all information in accordance with our respect for the legal process? Or is the law merely one more battleground to be dominated by our ingenuity? The prophet said, The laws of the courts are but whispers in the wind. 
When one man is bound in chains and thrown into prison, this is a concrete problem for that man. But does imprisonment mean that he should have obeyed those whispers as a schizophrenic obeys the voices in his head? The opposite is true. To play the game of whispering, one must capture the wind in his sails, launching him thus to ever-distant economic shores. There are those who whisper, those who interpret the whisper, and those who obey those interpretations. To capture those winds, we must hire our own whisperers to construct the most profitable laws, and we must launch our legal fleets into the fray where they can profitably interpret the existing whispers. And for any man who blindly obeys the voices reaching out from the void, let us smile at that man and pay him a decent wage, for he will also obey our own shrewd whispering. On Love and Sex The human resources lady asked, What is the role of love and sex in a growing business? Will we perform better when we set ourselves free to explore each other's hearts and bodies? Or is this a distraction from our daily work? The prophet told her, To profit is to accumulate power. To express your love is to give power away. If a man lays his hands fleetingly and with a crisp snap upon the skirted buttock of a buxom brunette, then he will profit socially when others witness that she does not complain. If a man delivers his seed unto a woman during work hours, that we must not see this as an act of love, but instead an act of power, and judge the act on whether it will profit the business. A woman's obedience and a man's hubris are the yin and yang of social economics. If we ignore and accept their behavior, then the balance of power is correct for stepping boldly in the direction of increased wealth. However, when the woman inevitably complains about abuse, we must listen with one ear while cutting her loose with the other. This is the way of love and sex at work. If we set our sexualized gaze beyond the workplace, we may see a juicy sea of roiling emotion. Men seeking status and soft flesh, women seeking abuse and people to abuse, all wrapped up in their myriad illusions. We may present our products alongside imagery which commingles sexual power games with smiling faces. In a sexual power relationship, both parties benefit from the illusion of a mutual love, and so both parties will associate our product with the illusory lubricant that keeps them latched on one to the other. On children. The human resources lady said, What about the children? Are they merely a hindrance to our goals? Or are they the very purpose for all our work? The prophet said, Our most dangerously renewable resource may work both as a motivator and a replacement for those who hold our most undesirable positions. Show me a factory worker who works overtime for love of his job. In his undisciplined youth, he created three new future employees. It behooves us immensely to offer him the minimum pay required to prevent the starvation of those future employees, and even to post literature regarding family values upon the bulletin boards, so that he feels his lack of discipline is as welcome as it truly is. During this process, the incalculable potential of those fresh young minds will be procedurally diminished as they mimic their undisciplined forebears, diluting the workforce to such an extent that 
that we may pay less and less to each subsequent generation until the end of time. On giving. The Lazy-Eyed Community Volunteer Coordinator said, What shall be our relationship to charities, O Prophet? How shall we interact with those in need of support within our greater community? The Prophet proclaimed, We must never interact with those in need, lest their economic maladaption reflect upon us and become our own. But we must go to great lengths to interact publicly with those charities who care for the drooling and incoherent poor. We might even inspire our employees to donate to charities in such a way that it becomes tax-deductible for our company. But in the end, we must acknowledge that a person's suffering is self-caused, because when we acknowledge a thing, then we can stop thinking about that thing and instead think about more profitable things. On eating and drinking, the Interdepartmental Project Management Team lead said, How should we nourish our bodies? What should we eat and drink? The prophet delivered his nutritious verbal meal. Some vehicles require high-octane petrol to maintain their highly productive state, while simpler machines run smoothly on cheaper fare. Socialists may imagine fresh fruit and meat for even the humblest humanoid. But would those socialists pour rocket fuel in their battered lawnmowers? Is it profitable for janitors and cashiers to consume steak and peppers every day when their jobs could just as easily be done after a breakfast of noodles and bologna. But this problem solves itself when we pay them what they are worth, and they become accustomed to the type of food that they can afford. On vacations. The head of marketing looked up from her daily planner and said, What vacations should we take for ourselves, and what vacations should we allow for those beneath us? Surely vacations allow us to accumulate more strength for the job, and to bond with our families. The prophet nodded his tentative agreement and elaborated thusly. Indeed, the human body and mind must recuperate from the rigors of profitable labor. But vacations are often more stressful for families than daily work life. We recuperate each night and catch up on personal affairs each weekend. But throughout each working day, our employees dream of some beautiful and stress-free vacation in the near future. This illusion of a stimulating and relaxing adventure is more valuable to the employer than the actual vacation is to the employee who knows not what to do with freedom when he finds it. Freedom is stressful for the average employee, yet they dream of it always, and this mad dream is a mere motivating factor in the machinery of making money through the labor of those less shrewd. For ourselves, Seek a life of pure vacation instead of waiting for those rare week-long excursions to some foreign land which you barely can explore. You can carry vacation in your head, in your perspective, and in your heart. All you must do is accumulate enough wealth and power that your home can be your resort. You can fly to Europe or Australia on a lark, and others can run your affairs while you merely weigh in on the most important decisions. One might never feel the need to escape such a lifestyle, never take a vacation, and if nothing is a vacation, then everything is a vacation. On minimum wage, the head of payroll put down his calculator and said, What of minimum wage? Should we pay what an individual needs to survive, 
are only what the task appears to be worth to the company. The prophet said, Some may declare that it costs a certain amount of money to feed and shelter an employee, and that since we benefit from labor which requires that feeding and sheltering, then we are obliged to pay an amount which would at least allow that employee to continue eating and sleeping enough to be of service to us. But I say, if a man were to live with his mother so that she bought his food and provided him with shelter, then the previous declaration would be unveiled as a non sequitur. Why indeed would we pay for his food and shelter when somebody else is already doing it? And why should somebody wish to live alone and drain their employer's coffers when they still have a perfectly good mother with whom to live? But we must make peace with our oppressors if we are to perpetually propel our profit margins. Were we to refuse to pay minimum wage, we would face many difficulties in the courts of the land. And so we pay it. On unpaid internships. The vice executive recruitment manager said, Do we seek out unpaid interns for their free labor and youthful vigor? Or should we hire independent people who demand cash payment for their efforts? The prophet said, if we paid our interns, then any rabble of low pedigree might stumble into the corridors of power, for the rabble is united solely in their demand for compensation. An unpaid intern clearly has their financial needs met in advance by a strong family or dominating husband. They are of stronger stock. By refusing to pay interns for their work, we are guaranteeing that only those with pre-existing financial advantages can gain the experience they need to succeed in our world. Then we can climb the lucrative ladder together without being held back by those who need to pay rent. On good and evil, the head of research and development asked, how will we know if our acts are good or evil? Should we think in these terms? Or is that non-strategic? The prophet nodded knowingly and said, thinking in terms of good and evil is an evil way to think for it will only lead to lost profits. However, speaking in terms of good and evil will help your colleagues, clients, and customers to understand that whatever they think is good is the same as what is profitable for you. On drugs. Some dude said, what about drugs? While security dragged him out. The prophet said, what a pity that one word suffices as a reference for any substance which can alter your mind, mood, or behavior. But what a delight to know that science has concocted a variety of chemicals which can increase productivity while decreasing aberrant or non-lucrative behaviors. A human left to his own devices is barely a useful machine. But when the right chemical mixture is introduced into his system, he finds himself unable to stop working and no longer plagued by the laziness and apathy which are a hindrance for so many men. Of course there are other chemicals which produce the opposite effect, but those chemicals tend to be outlawed by that organization larger than ours, the state. So we can proudly stand beside the state as we condemn the substances which send people into strange mental places, all while we increase our investments and those profitable companies who work to produce the chemicals which our employees pay for to increase their profitability to us. On human rights. Should we speak out in favor of human rights? Asked the head of human resources. 
or should we find ways to abuse those rights for profit? The prophet said, Human rights are necessary for a business to succeed. If human rights were anything other than the right to function as employees and consumers, then mushrooms and marijuana would take the place of tobacco and caffeine on store shelves, and the entire workforce would be transformed into an unmanageable herd of children whose buying habits could neither be predicted nor controlled. Every existing human right merely makes it possible for a citizen to work and to buy. And those are the best things a citizen can do. And so we support human rights with all our power. On Pride The head of research and development said, Men are often proud. Should we not take pride in our work when it surpasses standards in quality and profitability? The prophet considered the question and said, A man's pride is a handle for those who would manipulate him. They would cheer him with one hand and eat his dinner with the next. A wiser man would temper his pride lest he be blinded to a storm of schemes betwixt his very nose. On Hiring and Firing O prophet beseeched the vice executive recruitment manager, how will we build our teams and when do we trim the herd? The prophet declared, hiring and firing are dear to my heart. Even if I one day retire, I believe I will still hire people and later fire them. They are art forms and methods of expression. Every hiring and firing changes lives and alters your business. You must relish it, like making love. There is no hope more pure than a man embarking on a new path within your company. All his potential lies before him, and it is because of you. And there is no domination more sweet than taking that job away. I offer no advice on how to hire and fire effectively, for you must know in your heart if a man belongs on your team. You should see it in his eyes and taste it in the air, feel it in his handshake and discern it in his tenor. My only instruction is to enjoy the act while it lasts, for hirings and firings are often all too fleeting. Study their hope, drink their dreams, and get lost in the sweet power you have over their lives. On Religion The legal team delivered a writ which said, what of worship in the workplace? What should we believe? And in what ways should we restrict each other from expressing our beliefs? The prophet nodded thoughtfully and said, When people of different religions work together as a team, they are reminded that there is one thing bigger than their myriad gods. For in the workplace it is money that makes them put aside their beliefs. So restrict not thine brother's illusions, but instead encourage them to worship freely. For we all know who puts food on our bellies and doors on our houses. The Farewell The prophet said, And now our time is done, for my shares are ripe for selling, and my plane is booked for distant lands. But what is this I see on my screen? The price of my shares has plummeted, and I am destitute. We have duped you, exclaimed the interdepartmental project management team lead with a laugh. While you satisfied our curiosity with your wise words, we satisfied the other shareholders' wallets by telling them to sell first, and we sold our own shares even before them. The prophet said, Then I have taught you well, O schemers. You have formed a secret pact with my rivals, and together you bested me. But I experienced neither shame, pride, nor despair. For the economic battle continues until death and beyond 
and the waves of finance lap forever upon mine loins like the frothy fingers of fate. Entwine my fingers with thine, sweet ocean of money, and drag me into the deep. Matt Payne writes surrealism, satire, science fiction, and psychedelic adventure stories. If you think this tractor is sexy, you can support it by buying my books at patmain.com. That's P-A-T-T-M-A-Y-N-E.com. Or visit my Patreon site at patreon.com slash help yourself.